This is the Coleman Associate Innovation Podcast. Innovation? Yeah, innovation. New, original, and creative. This podcast is designed to challenge the way you think about how healthcare is delivered. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. If you haven't already done so, please take your seat and fasten your seatbelt. I'm your host, Ryan Jury. We are about to explore practical solutions and hear about how out-of-reach results are obtained. Welcome to this installment of the Coleman Associate Innovation Podcast. Amanda and all those who have joined us recently, thank you so much for giving us some real-world examples of innovation and some concrete ways to change healthcare. In this discussion, you will hear from Alyssa Stratman and Roger Coleman, who answered a common question asked by our team in various settings. The question is, how do you deal with resistance? I left a little recording blooper in there for you, so enjoy and laugh a little, and welcome to this installment. Every leadership wants to know how do we manage resistance. How can we maybe reframe this construct in our minds as leaders about managing resistance or dealing with resistance? Are there other ways that we, we can start reframing our thought process to think about a pathway forward? Absolutely. I mean, I think about even working in my own health center, there were certainly people that I would say were resistant and acknowledging that, yeah, those people are struggling. I think it's probably more apt, more correct to say that we're helping them. And this is um, out of the reading of Adam Grant, um, the writer who wrote the book Originals. And he talks about how people who have original ideas and original concepts in mind, that they sometimes get held down by people who have anxiety, anger, or apathy toward the change is the phrase that he uses. And to me, that's the reframing that we have to do with it. It's not just, oh, you know, everyone struggles to change. It's okay. Some people have anxiety, Hmm. anger, or apathy. Okay. When you name those, that feels a little different to me than like asking somebody to, you know, just do something that they always do or have an emotion that they're quote unquote supposed to have. Hmm. It's almost as if resistance is a label of something else that's something else, like it's a symptom of a symptom. So as a manager, I can most certainly think of ways to work through working with individuals who are apathetic or individuals who have anger or individuals who have anxiety. And maybe the solutions to those are completely different. But when I say patient, or sorry, not patient, sorry, when I say people struggle with resistance, it feels powerless. Like I feel like I'm I'm speaking about a concept that isn't actionable. I would 100% agree. And I think that's part of how we get stuck. Okay. Is that we think about, oh, resistance to change. Oh my God, there's going to be so much resistance to change. How are we going to handle this? We need to prepare for this. We need to talk about it, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas you wouldn't say like, you know, someone has apathy toward their job. My gosh, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to figure this out? It's like, well, go talk to that person. Hmm. Find out why they're apathetic. Find out what's happening. Or they feel angry about something. Okay, well what is an appropriate professional way to express anger or frustration on the job? You know, every emotion has a place somewhere. It's just, it may not be at work or it may not be in front of people. I mean, you can, I think it's totally reasonable for someone to be frustrated that things are changing. But for example, I don't think it's appropriate for a provider who is a default leader on the team because of their amount of education and Mm -hmm. the respect they have from the rest of their staff members to be permitted to Mm -hmm. badmouth best practices because they themselves haven't come across the line to coming on board with those. Um, So there's a quote unquote managing of anger that there's a right place and a wrong place. But when you say managing resistance, it feels 
like you don't even know where to start. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, I know. I totally feel like I've been there many times where you, this resistance is this nebulous thing that is un, like untangible. I can't really sink my teeth yeah. into it. Yeah. <clears throat> Sometimes so we, I think, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Sometimes I think that we mistake people's resistance or resistance to ideas if we're tired of hearing people, sometimes we just say they're resistant rather than listening to them because there are always other perspectives and other ideas. And in fact, another thing that Adam Grant talks about is this idea of devil's advocate. And he talks about sort of the history of it and that, you know, really, it's not really always used the way that it was like initially coined and thought about. And so, but sometimes when people bring these counterpoint of views, I'll say, instead of being a devil's advocate, mm -hmm. it can bring up something that you've maybe otherwise overlooked or a diversity of opinion that hmm. has, you know, left you. And so I think that's very different. Someone saying, hey, I have a concern about this. You know, honestly, it's, it boils back to like so many things. It comes down to like what you learned when you were <clears> younger. You know, and I remember my parents saying, or same thing I say to my daughter, you could say anything to me depends on how you say it. Mm, yeah. Um, and so resistance is, I'm not going to do that. Da, 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 da. Management always does this, rah, rah, rah. But not resistance is, hey, I hear you guys. I want to make things better too. I just want to know, did this perspective get put out on the table? Because I think it's an important one. Right. That's a very different type of response. Going back to the concept, you know, this idea about resistance is that there's truth, right? There's truth in what an individual who is resistance, Sometimes. what they're saying, some of the content of what they have to say is true. Maybe, maybe there are issues that we need to further explore or look into or test or look at kind of yeah. deep diver into what, yeah. um, or what maybe, is the story? Or maybe there aren't issues we need to look into <laughs> and somebody just wants you to get busy looking at other things because that'll distract you from what's supposed to be happening. Yeah. I have certainly seen that tactic used before. Hmm. Like That's try to keep people on the, you know, on the defensive coming up with all the reasons why this, 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 and this, hmm. so that we don't actually actually get into the thing we're getting into. So it's that, um, it's that whole idea. We'd actually do this resistance skit in the collaboratives. And one of the players, as you know, Ryan, one of the players is somebody who basically says, well, yeah, we could look into that, but we're going to need to run some reports and we're going to need to figure this right. out. And basically it's somebody who gets busy on looking at all this other information, which distracts from the job of actually getting the thing done. Just doing something. Yes. I wanted to circle back um, on two points you made. The first was this idea of apathy, anger, and anxiety as being maybe reasons why um, there's resistance towards change. Um, so how could I potentially work or what are some tools to manage, coach, lead, mentor somebody who's having issues with apathy and or anger and or anxiety? So I think there's a ton of tools and I feel like this is, the, I kind of remember those because they all start with A, so that makes it easier to like think about the three A's. Mm -hmm. But those three A's are things we encounter with employees, even not around change. Right. Or yeah. even not around change that's improving, moving you to like transformation or team-based care. You know, you may get anxiety, you know, you may get anger, apathy around the dress code right. or yeah. around mm -hmm. the use of cell phones. So it's like, okay, well, as a manager, what would you do in those cases? 
Okay, so you can be angry about the dress code. You can plan to show up naked to work, but that's not going to be acceptable. <laughs> so you know, we're, we're not going to allow that. So here are your choices. You right. can be as angry as you want, but you're going to have to be angry elsewhere yeah. um, because this is the standard. This is what we accept and nothing else will, it will be tolerated. Yeah. So, so I feel like we have tools as managers for each of those things. The trick is to not get seduced by, are you doing the wrong thing as a manager? Mm -hmm. And then yeah. take a big step backward. I mean, if you were like, you know, if you were, you know, duct taping patients to the exterior walls and just going around and, you know, listening to their heart one by one by one, I would say question it. Right. But you're doing like team-based care. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's not a... It's not an unsafe thing. It's not something that like no one's ever done before and we don't know if it'll work. Right. So like the fact that you're getting bored with it is no different than saying, you know, you need to wear scrubs to work. That's what we're going to do here. And I hope you're okay with that. And if not, there's Thor. The so so the, the real kicker here is when we allow these voices or this dialogue to make us believe we're making the wrong the wrong decision, right? Because you, you kind of went back and said something that, you know, dealing with apathy, anger, and anxiety aren't things that we don't encounter in a day-to-day -day basis. The damage can happen when it's in the context of making change in an organization, and then all of a sudden we start doubting ourselves and thinking we're doing the wrong thing. Yes. Yes. And, and any manager who's ever tried to institute a new policy might have gone through this same thing. Right. I mean, I remember my health center going through this thing, like, do we allow spaghetti straps? Do we not allow spaghetti straps? You know, right. like for, you know, and then it went back and forth and they said, no, no spaghetti straps. And then some people are like, well, but it's really hot in here. We don't have air conditioning. And then all <laughs> the managers like kind of double back on, well, maybe we should have put in air conditioning, you know, that was stronger before we did this. <laughs> and so then people start to rethink themselves. And I think it has so much to do with the fact that most people are health center managers are caring people. They care about people. Right. And they're oftentimes a little less pragmatic and a little more feeling oriented. Hmm. And they don't want to come across as like jerks or the heavy or whatever else. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in my mind from reading the five dysfunctions of a team by Patrick Lencioni, when you put the opinions of a few people ahead of the results of the many, and frankly, hmm. ahead of the results of the patients, to me, that's the dysfunction, inattention to results all over the place. Right. And then, then you're in trouble as a manager for flip-flopping and consistency. People don't know what you do or don't stand for. Is it spaghetti straps today or not tomorrow? And what do totally. I really need to do? And worst of all, you have all this distraction that takes away from the job, which you're actually hired to do, Yeah. which is to see patients in a wonderful way. So in terms of resistance, making sure that the as a leader, things that I can do would be to make sure that I'm ensuring the energy of the organization is moving towards this change instead of being distracted. Yes, yes. And that's where, you know, um, Cy Wakeman in her book, No Ego, she has in reality-based leadership, actually both of those, she makes a few great recommendations. Like one is for she, um, I can't even remember if she uses the example of a vocal provider or if I just placed it on a vocal provider. Mm -hmm. But basically she says, you know, can, can, one of the things she, you could say as a manager is, can I count on you hmm. to be a vocal supporter of this right. at the next say provider meeting? Or can I count on you to, I think this is almost exactly her language. Can I count on, can I count on you to reframe a conversation around the water hmm. cooler around <laughs> this? Because yeah. that's what you're actually paid to do. Right. As a manager or a leader, you're paid to support this stuff. 
So if you have issues, let's talk through them now. Let's get them off your chest. Think about it overnight. And then and then she even goes so far, which I think is great, is to say, okay, so you're on board two out of 10 with this. What are you going to do to get yourself to be 10 out of 10 with this? Yeah, yep. And I love the language, which is what are you going to do? Not what do I have to do? Oh, what else do I need to do to convince you to be a 10 out of 10? Right. So, no, I, no, what are you going to read? What are you going to do to get yourself there? Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that that goes back to the concept of managing the three A's, apathy, anger, and anxiety, is that, you know, the reality of it is, is as a manager, you can't, you can't fill their bucket for them to not be apathetic, right? Like all of these things require the individual to take some ownership and do something with it. Um, and it's under the coaching of the, the manager to kind of help them move through it. But that discussion of how can I count on you? Or what absolutely. You That's absolutely it. So now All right. I, uh, my dad grew up, I grew up in my house as a Star Trek fan. And there's nothing to say about res- Star Trek or Star Wars. But if you are a Star Trek fan, the Borg has a saying that, that it is that the resistance is futile. You can't resist the Borg or the assimilation. So kind of getting ready for that, trying to frame the thoughts and start a conversation. Is it resistance is futile or is it resistance is futile? (laughs) (laughs) So now we're going to now talk about resistance. Just so you can really reframe the thoughts. Well, uh, we're going to cut all that out now, that's for sure. (laughs) Sorry. It's futile. Tomato, tomato, futile, futile. Well, without further ado, we're going to listen to Roger Coleman, who gives us a different take on resistance. It's important to dispel a myth. And a lot of times when we're talking about these kinds of initiatives and change, the managers will say, well, you know, the biggest problem is going to be resistance to change. Hmm. It's always such a big topic. You know, it's always the elephant in the room. You know, it's just like, we tried this, but, you know, we get a lot of resistance to change. We'll see how we deal with it. Yeah. And the only change people like is the change in their pocket. And you know how people are. <laughs> and we have all of these platitudes that tell us to expect a lot of resistance. Yeah. But, you know, when we go into a clinic doing a um, DPI, a dramatic performance improvement project, our team of people are going in for three and a half days, which is a tiny amount of time. Mm-hmm. And in three and a half days, they're going to change practically everything. Right. Yep. And at the end of it, you know, often be- referred to as a colonoscopy or colonoscopy, right? I've, I've read right, yeah, the- colonoscopy. <laughs> colonoscopy. Often in California, I was kind of shocked, but I thought that was totally appropriate to do. <laughs> And I can see how it could feel that way. And because we're working shoulder to shoulder with staff and managers mm-hmm. right on the floor. So, you know, the deal is, and then most of those changes will stay in place. But if you think if you can change everything in three and a half days, is resistance to change really the big problem? Hmm. And I would say no. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. It, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying it's not the big problem. And to illustrate it, I would say, like, I remember years ago, I did a presentation in, in Michigan before we did a redesign team, mm-hmm. uh, patient redesign work there. I did a, a whole thing. The, uh, the, the CEO wanted me to do a presentation first to the whole staff. I said, okay. So we went to a little auditorium, had all of the staff there, and it was going to be like a couple of hour presentation to get everybody oriented and everything. And before it started, the CEO 
comes up to me. I'm still just sitting down in the, in the auditorium. He saddles up next to me. He goes, Roger, I hope as part of your message that you're going to make it really clear to people that they have to change. Mm-hmm. I don't think people understand this, Roger, that they have to change it. Everyone's part of this. And if we don't change, we're in trouble. And, yeah. and so yeah. everyone's got to get with the act and everyone's got to change, Roger. And I hope you make that part of your message. So, well, <laughs> not part of my literal message, but, you know, we'll see where it goes. So anyway, I do the regular thing. I don't put it in any special messages. Everyone gets excited because they're dogged by the same problems as everybody else. They're just trying to do a good job every day. Right. And then there's all of the system that gets in the way of doing a good job. They have to fight the system the whole day. Yeah. And they have to have enough energy to fight it and still do a good job. So, you know, so they're all excited about redesign and the possibility and, and everything changing everything. So then they're so excited that at the end of it, we're all done. The CEO saddles up to me again. And he says, Roger, how do we control this? Hmm. How do we control the excitement? How do we control the pace of things? How do you make sure not too much happens too fast? <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, so we'll revisit this. You have a resistance to change problem in the morning, and I think in the afternoon, I think we've been able to figure out it's you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a control problem. or a- Yeah, so, so I think, you know, it does a disservice when we talk about resistance to change in that general way. It does a disservice to line staff because we're really saying when we say that staff is the problem, and that's not the problem. The problem is that our management teams – um, are not experienced in mm. and, and, are, and don't have expertise with respect to implementing wholesale change in our clinics. Right. Uh, that's why you hire ex- external people like us. You know, you can't be good at everything. And the managers and management teams are good at keeping things in places, uh, in place and, and making sure things continue and the processes work yeah. well, results are still measured. But they're, they're not experienced in working together tightly as a team right. and doing this wholesale change. It's just, you know, they're functional they're in charge of departments they're right. not in charge of the whole thing and keep and the train on the track exactly exactly and so we have to use but that's where the problem is so the, the problem is with management but it gets a kind of but it's easily solved by bringing in the external source but it um often i think that the 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 idea or the mantra resistant, everyone's going to be resistant to change is just a way of saying it's the staff's problem. It's often said by a manager. So I, th- <laughs> I think it's misplaced, you know. And, right. But, you know, once we did the three and a half day thing, because we were looking like you, you could go into a manufacturing plant, you could change all the engineering and you'd come out with a different result. Maybe that mm-hmm. plant would be closed two days or maybe this auto plant would be closed four weeks, but you end up with a different result because you engineered all the uh, right the processes and the equipment and everything. So what we were looking for when we were developing DPIs, dramatic performance improvement uh, 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 mode, we were looking for, is there a way we can go into a people organization Hmm. and get it done and also as quickly as possible? Yeah. And so when we did the three and a half days, and it took us a while to get to that point, but three and a half days, and we can do that routinely, we thought, oh, wow, this really works. But now in reflecting upon it, if we can change everything in three and a half days, I would say resistance to changes, the, the resistance we get is a little normal, but it's not fatal, obviously, because we just changed everything three and a half days. Yeah. So some people were resistant around some things. Big deal. What are some other elements of maybe why that change that was there after three days isn't there anymore 
Well, I think one of the most interesting questions, and we've always gotten this question, and um, is, um, are the changes sustainable, or how do I sustain the changes? Yep, yep. And I find that really interesting. I mean, I don't do anything, and at Coleman Associates, we don't do anything, unless we've put ourselves into the shoes of the person speaking or participating in anything we're doing. So for example, when we do a learning session, we will be in that room before anybody else after the room's been set up. Let's say it's in a hotel by the hotel people. Right. We we will sit in every seat to make sure that the visibility is good, that the seat is not crushed up to the table behind it, that there aren't like legs sticking in the way of that mm -hmm. particular so that person's going to be uncomfortable. We check out everywhere and we'll move whatever we have to move ourselves. Very, very early mornings for those who are ever interested. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's absolutely true. Too early for me. I mean, I always hated that aspect yeah. of it, but that's what we did to make sure it worked for everybody. So similarly, I put myself in the shoes of those managers that asked that question. And to me, it's a baffling question because even though I put myself in those shoes, I've been mm. in those shoes. And it was like, if, because the answer is if something's important to you and you're the top manager, I know it's going to happen. Right. So if you're asking me how to sustain these changes and why aren't these changes really staying in place, then I'm going to say, because it's not important enough mm. to you. You're not paying attention to it. You're not making sure you communicate to people that it's important. And that mm. and you know you can hit targets because that was demonstrated. And right. those you're not embracing those targets and saying, if you don't hit them, there's going to be consequences just like anything else that's sacred and in, 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 to us in terms of the health center and what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, if it's important to the CEO and the top management, it will happen. Hmm. But what top management wants when they ask that question, in my opinion, is they want staff to sustain the changes while they move on to other priorities, while mm -hmm. the managers move on to other priorities, because there's always other priorities. Right. And that becomes the thing that grabs their attention. They go, oh, we did that project. We're done. It's like EMR. We you know, checked we the box. EMR. Yeah. Oh, thank God. That's done. You know, let's move on to something else. And then EMR is a nightmare for like three years. <laughs> right. You, you, you know, when you're a manager, the thing that's really stunning as a manager is you think you're really creative because you really don't have much to do other than think of a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> and, and you can think of a lot of stuff to do faster than other people can do them. And so you're always ahead of the crowd looking like the visionary when, in fact, <laughs> it's just that you don't have to implement the stuff. Implementation is really slow. Conceptualization is very fast. So if, if, if we come back to that, if we keep our focus on that, we're watching the data and the steering wheel and people mm -hmm. know we're doing that and we're watching because we, the organizations, even a huge one like Health and Hospital Corporation in New York, they, I don't know now because we, we haven't done that. We haven't been there for 15 years, but, um, or a little less than that, I guess, but they watched that data for years centrally. In other words, it was important to central management and therefore it became important to every Mm -hmm. a clinic facility management in the system, which became important in every clinic in the system because everybody was paying attention to it. And that's what it takes is paying attention. Yeah. Well, you know, talking about peoples and this being a people system, 
makes a lot yes. of sense. What's important to us is what will happen when, it, when yes. it's not, then we yes. won't. And the other thing that undermines all of those changes is that I see consistently is turnover. Hmm. So depending on A, your rate of turnover, and B, and, when, and this is practically non-existent, your training capabilities or training new people in your new processes and ways of working because they will come from some other facility that's working the old way, don't forget. Right. So usually what we see is we see a turnover and we see no training. And so over time, our newly redesigned patient, you know, patient visit, uh, scheduling system, reduced no-shows falls apart over time because new people come in, take the jobs of the old people, have not been trained in new processes and start working the way that they were working at their old facility. Before. Yep. Yep. Can I count on you? There were several books mentioned in this podcast, and I challenge you to be a lifelong learner and go and read or listen to them. As Cy Wakeman says, or gives us the advice to ask employees or others that we work with, can I count on you? Please leave a review, subscribe and share with a friend. And thank you so much, Jonathan, Amanda, and Mel, for all of your support. 